Chapter 15 Deeper While Sia dematerialized on a dance floor, I lay in bed holding Miri in my favorite position, on her side, pressed in against me, her head on my chest, right leg bent over the top of mine. Today had been one of her good days. Without me even asking, she'd given up and down kisses and let me move her how I wanted when we got into bed. Absolute perfectness. Mary has all the nighttime talents. My dad used to say it's a very rare individual who knows what to do with happiness. And inside of moments like this, every cell in my body satisfied, next to Mary at the end of a smiled-through day, it becomes clear to me that I am not one of them. I live in it while it's there. I know I'm fortunate in that respect. But once it's passed and I'm left alone with the echo of it, I clutch and cling too much. I fear for how to keep it, how to make it for her again. I want to be all of Mary's happiness. It's an unhealthy and parasitic synthesis of good feeling that I can't make work. I want to be able to give her everything she gives me, be everything to her that she is to me. But the transfusion doesn't take. Mary is a different type, and the incompatibility is something that's beyond me. Promising all things were now deep sleepy. Mary's fingers began their little twitches on my chest. Good night, baby. I watched the stars through our skylight. A thin cloud floated past, and for a moment the shapes came loose, wobbling like vision through a tear. I imagined Are up there, eternal and sad, alone and crying. I liked the picture. I liked the way it felt in my head. I took a moment to pretend, to role-play myself as a man of faith. I believed. Miri, born in Are's image, and by default, the reverse. I wished my wife's sad eyes into Are's eternal face. I wished for a depressed heart to break beneath her blue skin. I wished a force-fed sampler of human suffering into Are's silent mouth. I liked imagining these things. Pulling Miriam tighter, I let the thought go, and once again was a faithless man. But reality is a tricky crystal and requires no one's belief in it to bend the world's light as it chooses. Maybe, and maybe not. Either way, I was too tired to care. Images of divine equity dancing blue-green and broken-hearted behind them, I closed my eyes and let the pretty pictures carry me away. Fluorescent light burns an unwhite feel of fiberglass on optics. Everything around me screams itself as cheap, vapid, and disposable. I'm standing with Miri in the thoroughfare of a modern shopping mall. She's wearing her orange shawl, using it to hide her third arm in public. I always wish she wouldn't. Storefronts are decorated in loud signage and useless trinkets, Buried 10,000 years, excavated and blinked at by something not us, they are the kind of items which will make for an embarrassing assortment of anthropological evidence. 
All the customers in the mall appear to have selected their personas from a semi-annual catalog of identities. Little minds living in a fashion-based classification system. Genus by fuckability. Species sorted by economic class. They all move in the same direction, aimed and disappearing the opposite way of Miri and I. One is carrying a gift shop RA incense burner. Kept the receipt just in case. I find myself nauseated with detest for everything happening around us. What are we doing here? I ask. This is the surface, Mary tells me. We're going deeper. Come on, she says, taking my hand. It's okay. Beneath her shawl, Miri is wearing a white sundress. I tell her she looks pretty. Just for you, she replies. I feel better already. My hand in hers, moving between lines of smaller shops on either side, Miri leads the way toward what looks to be a huge department store entrance. We walk through, and the scene rearranges entirely. Suddenly, we're outside. We're standing in a wide-open space. The change in air reminds me of the shift I experience when leaving the city and driving toward the foothills. It takes me a moment to realize, but Miri and I haven't left the city at all. The city hasn't come yet. I know this place as the presentation grounds, the ancient stage that serves as a footstool to our modern one, worn and crumbled in my time exists before me now in sharp angles, cut and polished marble. People are here. They wear throws, robes, and furs, dense, crude, and beautiful jewelry, makeup of mud, blood, and pollen. I'm struck profoundly by the sight. I want to trade my knowledge base for theirs. I feel a grieving envy for their lack of modern reference. I'm ashamed for having approached their world through a mall and feel convicted by my knowledge of what this sacred place will become. I know that I will be a participant in the mutation of this pure thing. I'm base. I'm disgusting. The space surrounding the stage is beautifully green. The landscape is flower color and stream. Patrons stand attentive, some prone and praying, Poofy goats graze about. One man has the stage. His voice is sure. He speaks in loud animation. I don't understand the language, but the rhythm is clear. He is reciting poetry. Beside him, a woman is dressed impressively. Crudely applied, her skin is painted blue-green. As part of the decoration, a long branch rises from her back. It splits at the top to smaller branches resembling a hand. The wooden fingers clutch a woven orb. The orb is surfaced with white leaves and cloud flowers. Rara, the orator repeats. That is the anchor to his poem. I know this technique, a rough villanelle. Again, rara, turning each time to the decorated woman. The understanding of what is happening in front of me takes my breath away. Mary reads my thoughts. As we go deeper, she warns, reverence will become fear. She squeezes my hand.
there will be nothing you can do. Weaving from the crowd, Miri guides our way through the field. After what seems only steps, the forest grows tall before us, materializing from nowhere. I feel uncertain. I ask Miri if she is sure. She answers, this is the way. We move beyond the tree line. Beneath the canopy's shadow, sky becomes dark. Night falls and again the air is changed. A storm is arriving. Thunder groans from clouds, down through treetops and into root systems, vibrating the ground we walk on. Lightning strikes in crazed circles, electric blue. Viewed through the canopy's gaps, the sky is kaleidoscopic. A numinous charge soaks everything. The world is a fiery hum, alive with the divine. There are others here who agree. A collection of apes gathers beneath a break in the forest ceiling. Hugged by shadow, a spotlight of moonbeam illuminates the clearing. Their affect oscillates, cowering in fear, then bursting forth from it, violently displaying themselves to the sky. Still holding my hand, Miri takes us closer. It's okay, she promises. We stand among them, centered in this primal display. I trace their line of sight high above the trees. The moon glows full and hot, true white. It burns clouds away. They are receded by its shape, cradling it, bending immense pillars around it like a setting to a jewel, like a hand raising moon into night. Lightning screams in all directions, and its screams are returned. The apes echo the sky's energy back to it, beating their chest to the exchange. I'm speechless, terrified and exhilarated. Come on, Miri says. We're almost there. Together, we leave our circular history, violent and moonlit, and continue through the forest. Again, it seems only steps before the next passage shows itself. A cave opens from the ground. A thick stone arch curves atop a tunnel, sinking at a slant into the earth. There is no light inside. I look to Miri. Deeper. That's all she says. Deeper. We enter, and I am quickly struck with the full meaning of the word. One descending step after the next, my securities are removed. I feel my consciousness slip. My identity is a passing cloud. Self is an amateur illusion. All of my brightest ideas, so important, so special, like a galaxy of suns, are but spinning decorations to the black hole sleeping inside. Little twinkles the darkness will eventually eat. I know nothing. I am nothing. No science in this place. No logic or intuition. The esoteric circle, all religions, every well-informed guess, they turn to baby noise. Cute sounds spit from something too helpless to understand that it is. All that's big is little, and life is a moment too brief for sound to describe. We are inside the mystery. 
The cave walls sparkle a strange affect. Neither mineral nor extremophile, their contours shine by phantom means. A rhythmic twinkle set within pure black, the cave's dimensions reach the eye like a telescopic melt, warping and wobbling, close then far away. It's disorienting. Miri holds my hand tight. She gives me balance. Lower we go, and eventually the tunnel opens. We find ourselves inside a spacious cavern. Apparently a dead end, rounded flush and closed from all angles, including the path arrived by. The entry behind us is sealed. Just another twinkling surface. We're trapped. The slant of the ground steepens at our feet, disappearing into a pool of water. The liquid is most of the cave floor. Its surface is perfectly still and reflects nothing of the small lights flittering through the room. They sink in it, eaten. I've never seen a truer black. How deep is it? I ask. Too deep. Miri then removes her shawl and leads me to the water's edge. Look, she says. Slowly. Holding me with all three hands as I lean forward. The event is over the moment my eyes meet the water. My reflection is inhaled. It sinks away from me like a brick. Miri quickly pulls me back. My heart is beating fast. I turn to Miri. She understands. Again, too deep, she says. Bottomless. I picture universes being sprinkled like fish food into the darkness before me. Why did you bring me here? I ask. I'm not supposed to be here. To this, I have no doubt. It wasn't me. Miri's words sound like an apology. I'm not the one who brought you. I am then made to understand who had. Her head appears first. Floating vertically, she rises slowly from the pool. Black water slides from blue-green skin. It drips from her headdress, down her fiery hair. Are's eyes shine a brightness that reupholsters the entire space. The cave is a glowing emerald. She continues to rise. Another head surfaces from the black. Are is astride a huge animal. A massive elephant, a mastodon, covered with hair the same shade as Are's, eyes of the same emerald. Its trunk isn't one, but many. Squid-like and giant, tentacles curl and bend from its face. The animal rises to be shown completely, standing now on the water's surface. Tentacles dance about, writhing, sliding in and out of each other, caressing the air around Are, pulling through her open hand and touching down her legs. The vision is too much. The cipher is too foreign, too alien. I feel microbial, fungal and inappropriate. My knees start to give. I'm going to be sick. Mary grips my hand tighter. Breathe, she whispers. Goddess Are is beautiful, horrible and perfect. No cruelty or kindness, nothing sexual, not indifferent, not concerned, not even alive in the way I understand the concept. 
The goddess, as presented to me now, exists as one who has seen, who knows the beginning and has suffered the end. Are's eyes find Miri's and communicate something not meant for me. The elephant extends a tentacle. Miri returns the gesture, opening her hand and allowing it to slide through her palm. The tentacle is proxy to Are, a telepathic marionette. The goddess reaches forward and the tentacle obeys, resting its tip to Miri's cheek. Are's hand moves slowly downward, sliding the tentacle along Miri's skin. It falls from her chin and retracts, slithering away into the air. The two have now met. No more formalities. Are proceeds with what she's come for. The goddess folds her third arm behind her, out of sight. I see her chest swell. Like a breath being taken into the wrong part of her body, the skin above her breast inflates. It expands, then bursts. Entering through her back, the hand of Are's goddess arm has pushed her heart out through the front. Outside of her body and completely exposed, it beats within her palm. There is no blood. Are's eyes remain fixed on Miri. A tentacle gathers the heart from Are's hand. Once emptied, her goddess arm pulls away, sliding back through her chest and leaving an open hole. I can see through her. Still, there is no blood. Miri releases my hand, raises her third arm, and spreads her palm. I stand helpless. Are's heart is placed inside. The tentacle retreats as Miri's fingers take their grip. Finally, the blood comes. Still beating, the heart leaks a single line of red, tracing it exactly down the center of Miri's wrist. My wife then closes her eyes. She turns to me and opens them again. But she isn't there. Are's emerald stare has replaced Miri's green eyes. Looking to the goddess, I discover where they have gone. Miri's eyes gaze down to me from the face of Are. They are broken and sad. She places both hands over the empty space in her chest. I'm unable to move, left only to witness. Mary's eyes go shut and Are's body folds forward, sliding from the animal and falling. The black water takes her without a splash. Wake up. Beside me, the girl with the emerald eyes is speaking. Wake up. She's taken my Mary. Wake up. Give her back. Remy, wake up. And I do. Baby. Miri is pushing into me, rocking me awake. Wake up. Someone's here. What? The dream remains chemically alive in my blood. My heart is racing. Someone's at the door. I hear it too. Someone is banging at our front door. A deep breath, and I get out of bed. Moving through the hall, I can hear Sia on the other side of the door. I open it. What the shit, Sia? She looks crazy. Her makeup is a sweat-smeared disorder, and she's giving off an energy to match. Miri appears behind me, rubbing the tiredness from her eyes. Sammy, Haruki! Sia's speaking in quick breaths, coming in way too hot for this hour. They're not answering their phones. They aren't at home. 
Do you know where they are? Then looking past me to Miri, Miri, do you know where they are? Miri rubs her eyes again. Yeah, yes, news to me. Inside information, another secret. What, what are you talking about? Where are they? But Miri ignores me. Good, we have to leave, now. Sia is already rushing back to the car, one I don't recognize. Come on, let's go. Miri and I grab our keys and put on flip-flops. I inform Sia that we will be taking my truck and that I will drive. All of this feels too crazy. On the way out the door, I stop Miri and check her eyes, just to make sure. What? she asks, that same familiar green looking back at me. Nothing. The dream is still moving through me. I still feel sick. Nothing.